Today, we are back in the wide open spaces. Um, yeah. Second Corinthians, we've been walking through it. We took a break, uh, looked at malfunction junction for a little while, looked at good things for a little while, and hope the, hopefully those were helpful messages and series for you. But uh, today we're going back to Second uh, Corinthians and to wide open spaces. And um, well, I love this book, Second Corinthians, because in this book, uh, Paul is expanding our mindset to consider living life God's way. And God's way is probably larger than any of us really would consider on our own. And, uh, and we, we left off on this passage last week, but it's really kind of the, the sort of the pivot point of this whole series and of 2 Corinthians, I think. But 2 Corinthians 6 Verse 11 says, dear, dear Rock Church, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. So small or big is within. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can, and with great affection, open up your lives, live openly and expansively. You know, one of the things that I I feel like I've discovered about behavior and thinking is this. If we just try to change our behavior without actually changing our operating system, uh, we are going to keep adjusting back or adjusting down to what our real operating system, what our real belief system, what what our, our BS, our belief system is. And I am uh, aware that uh, it, you, can, you can try to force the issue on a behavioral change, whatever that behavioral change is, but if you don't change the why and your operating system and get an understanding of why you should be engaging in this, um, you're usually going to fall back to what your operating system is and your belief system is. So what Paul is doing in 2 Corinthians, I think, is tinkering with the operating system, the belief system, the outlook on life, the paradigm that uh, the Corinthian church has, and now it speaks to us in the 21st century. And so uh, today, I want to address your operating system on an idea that I believe can be life-changing. It's been life-changing for me. And 2 Corinthians, we've had, this is the 12th message um, out of this series, and who knows how many there would be. On a Wednesday night years ago, uh, we used to do Wednesday night services, I I taught the book of John verse by verse, and there were over 100 messages. Who knew there was so much in the Bible, in the book of John? 
So we've been journeying through a lot of great concepts, and 2 Corinthians, here's where we've landed now, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. 2 Corinthians, all of 2 Corinthians 8, all of 2 Corinthians 9, Paul is addressing mindsets on finances, on resources, on giving, on generosity, and on actually how God intends for ministry to be resourced. And a lot of these concepts that are in 2 Corinthians have had a personal impact on me. That's why I've enjoyed teaching this series so much. But I'm going to suggest to you that the way you think about money may or may not be biblical. And it would be worthwhile to consider how to acquire a, a godly, biblical approach to your financial resources. Uh, I, I think that there's, there's no question that something as important as your finances. How many of you know your finances rule a lot of your life? They just do. They rule a lot of your thinking. They rule a lot of your worry time. <laughs> they rule a lot of, of the directions that you go in life. And I'm convinced there's no question that growth in your financial capability, if you could grow that, if you could open that up, if it could get bigger, it would increase the quality of your life. It would increase the choices that are available to you in life. And I'm, I, I, I watch this for a lot of people, but your standard of life could go to a new level if you have a biblical idea, a godly idea. Because that's what God wants your life to do, to, to open up and to go to wide open spaces. Your ability to help other people would grow tremendously with a biblical mindset. Your ability to resource the cause of Christ in the earth uh, could grow dramatically if you could get the God idea about how to handle resources, financial resources in your life. So I want to take a few moments and read 2 Corinthians a little bit, starting uh, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. And uh, we're going we're gonna to get some context. And then I want to land on a verse that is a very powerful verse. Matter of fact, it's so powerful, it could even be controversial. Second <laughs> Corinthians 8, verse 1. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. So he's basically saying... Here's what the other guys are doing, just so you get a, a bit of context. In a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. So in other words, they were in a difficult set of circumstances, but something within them was bigger than their circumstances. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us 
with much urging, urging for the favor of participation in the support of the New Orleans Saints. I mean, in the support... That's what my Bible says, but... So, they were leaning in, saying, let us be involved in this ministry project that you've got going on. Verse 5, and this, not as we had expected, but they first, first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So, we urged Titus that just as he had previously made a beginning, so it also completing you this gracious work, this work of grace as well. Just as you abound in everything, you abound in faith, you abound in utterance and knowledge and earnestness and in love that we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work of generosity, of giving, of supporting ministry. I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Wow, that's an incredible idea. Paul is teaching them and encouraging them Here's how you think about supporting ministry. Now, our ushers are going to hand out a little brochure uh, because I'm not going to assume that all of us are on the same page or um, those should be handed out like immediately. Thank you. Um, this brochure is, is just a little bit of an educational tool to help us understand uh, how to take our next step. We've been talking a lot around here about taking our next step. And, uh, and so we're walking through this idea uh, of somebody who's kind of new to church, first time, has never given anything. Somebody who is occasional in that they give, but not really consistently. Somebody who's intentional in that they, they give consistently, but they give less than 10%. They give less than their tithe. And then there are people who actually tithe faithfully, giving 10% of their income. And then there are people who have learned to go beyond tithe into generosity. A lot of us have gone into that realm of generosity. Uh, Suzette and I have have gone way beyond the 10% in terms of the percentage of what we give to support ministry in this church and around the world. And I just want to, I want to say this to us. God has a clear plan for resourcing ministry. It's called chicken dinners. Uh, no, I'm sorry. It's called bake sales. No, God has a very clear plan for resourcing ministry. It's called tithe and offering. And 
it is a, it is a plan that if put into operation would work enormously well to resource his church to fulfill its mission in the earth. I hope you know that our church has way more vision right now than we have resources. And, and, and any healthy church has more vision than resources. When the resources are there, if, they were, if, if the entire church would honor God with tithe and the entire church would go beyond tithe into the land of offerings, it's a, it's a plan that God has created. It's God's way to do it. That, it, that would bless the church. But the beautiful thing to me is that it's not just a plan that blesses the church. It's a plan that blesses everyone who participates. It, it is literally the promise of the Bible is that when we honor God with tithe and offering, that the windows of heaven open over our lives, that our barns will be filled with plenty and our vats will overflow with new wine. So to encourage the, the church, and I want you to look at that, and I want you to consider, maybe you've never been a part of supporting the ministry of your church, or maybe you've been, never been a part of generosity, but I'm asking you to, to step into the adventure. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tinker with your operating system for a little bit today. So don't check out too soon because you may, in fact, be enlarged to a greater level than you ever thought possible. So to encourage and inspire the Corinthian church to be generous givers, Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, equips them with this amazing foundational idea. And that is this. God has broken poverty off of your life because of what Jesus has done to enable you to be a giver in life. God wants to put every one of us on the, the plus side of life. In other words, he wants to give you enough peace that you can actually minister peace. And he wants to give you enough joy so you can minister joy. And he wants to give you enough strength so you can hold somebody else up. He wants to give you enough finances so that you can actually do something for someone else and not just be concerned about taking care of yourself. God wants to put us into a situation where we're not always taking and we're not always consuming, but we are actually becoming the ones who help, the ones who lift, the ones who support, the ones who give, the ones who think river and not pie. That there is a river, the Bible says in Psalm 46, that flows from the throne of God. And 
It's not just a pie. Here's how much you have. And if you were to happen to give away a tenth of that pie, you'd be less a tenth. But in actuality, by allowing yourself to understand the river of God, you understand that the more you let release through you, the more God can get to you. Now, this, this passage, this verse, um, addresses something that is amazing. I realize it's been misused, but I don't want you to let somebody else's misuse of this biblical idea turn you off. And here is the idea that the Bible very clearly says Jesus bore poverty. These are the Bible words. Jesus bore poverty so that you might become rich. That's what the Bible says. I, I, I realize that, that, may, that some people are squirming in their seat, squirming in their brain. But just hang in here because I, I want to take you on a journey and, and I want to I want to work on our operating system for a moment to get us to see something that's powerful. God's not interested in blessing us just so we can become self-indulgent consumers. He's interested in breaking poverty, the fear of not having enough. It's not so much that you don't have enough, it's the fear that you won't have enough, that's what makes you hold on to your pieces of the pie. But he's interested in blessing us so that blessing can flow through us. The, the purpose of godly prosperity is to enable godly generosity. And if you could join the adventure of moving away from fear of not having enough to into the river where God releases abundance into your life, that adventure could take you to some really amazing, interesting places. I know what I'm talking about. I'm, I've lived this for decades now. I'm not espousing a theory that I hope might work. I, I, if, there, are, there are some things I preach and I go, I'm aspiring to this. This is something that, and I, I, I use the word moral or phrase of moral authority uh, advisedly, but I'm going to use it. I have the moral authority to talk about this. Uh, because Suzette and I have lived this value and it has brought immense blessing into our life. 2 Corinthians 8 9. Look, look at this verse. I want you to think about this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty, might become rich. That's a strong verse. 
That, that's one that'll, that'll work on your operating system a little. So the context of all of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, is what I said earlier, is the concept of finances and resources and giving and generosity and resourcing ministry. So I want us to understand that when you're looking at that verse, some people want to move it away from finances and make it more palatable or spiritual. But how many of you know money is very spiritual? And I'm encouraging you to understand that that verse is smack in the middle of a scriptural context that you can't take it out of that and try to make it, oh, this isn't about finances, this is about something else. In other words, you got to keep it in the scriptural context. That's what healthy Bible study will do for you and a helpful understanding. The, the entire Christian life is a life of the great exchange. The great exchange is this. Jesus, who was completely righteous, took my sin so I could become his righteousness. That's the exchange. The exchange is I give him my sin, he gives me his righteousness. The work of Jesus on the cross has paid every price that was necessary for the grace of God to flow into our life. Just as Jesus bore the curse of sin, Jesus bore the curse of poverty. And poverty is a curse. And I'm, this, is, this is my angle. If Jesus died to break the curse of poverty off of my life, I do not want his death to be in vain. I, I, I want this area of my life redeemed. I think we would, you know, it's funny because I, I think when we get to this, and this is why money is spiritual, finances are spiritual, resources are spiritual, I think we'd find it easier to accept it if you were to take that same verse but replace some words and go, Jesus was righteous, he became sin so that I might become righteous. And we go, yeah. That doesn't challenge us as much. Jesus had peace. He was chastised for my sake so that I might have peace. Right? In other words, that's something that we, we would embrace easily. Jesus had joy, bore my sorrows so that I might live in his joy. Like we would accept that. That's, that's a little easier. But when the Bible says Jesus was rich, became poor so that I might be rich, <laughs> we can have this tendency to kind of go, oh, Some people are more religious than the Bible. Yeah. 
I remember reading a, a quote of Brian Houston's one time. Brian Houston pastors the Great Hillsong Church, global church that's making a huge difference around the world. It's a simple thought, but it's a great idea. Don't let the world tell you how to do church. I'm, I, I'm not going to let any religious spirit, nor am I going to let the world, some negative, cynical person, remove from me the promise of God for my life. Come on, you remember this. God created Adam and Eve blessed, right? Fruitful, prosperous. He put them in the Garden of Eden. And their sin opened the door for death and curse to come into the world. The whole point of Jesus coming into this earth and dying on the cross was that he literally would absorb the curse so that the original intent of God could be restored to the earth. That's what Jesus did. So God's original default setting for man is blessed. <laughs> blessed is God's default setting. So now there's two ways to live. You can live blessed or you can live cursed. In him, we're blessed. So Jesus absorbed sin in his work on the cross so we could be made righteous. Jesus absorbed sickness so we could be healed. Jesus absorbed poverty, the Bible says, so we could become rich. Jesus absorbed curse so that we could live blessed. When you get born again, you get called into, you get, you get placed by the grace of God into this position. We talked about it for weeks in good things, right? The grace of God calls us in this place called blessed. Now, I love to preach about money because it literally is more spiritual than most people think. It's why it makes some people mad to actually have somebody preach about it and teach about it. But I'm saying to you, this is not about what God wants from you. This is about what God wants for you. And this is not about what I want from you. This is about what I want for you. Luke 12, 34, Jesus said this, and he's, a number of gospel uh, accounts record this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. My money goes to where my treasure is. I, I literally have a category in my Quicken accounting for golf. I have no category for NASCAR. I know. Because that's not what my heart is into. And the two greatest indicators of what your heart is really into is how you spend your time and how you spend your money. And if, if I get a look at your calendar, I will find out what's really important to your heart. And if I would get a, a look at your checkbook or bank statement, which I don't want to, thank you. 
But if I were to get a look at your statement, your financial statement, I could tell you what your heart is into. Because that's where your resources go. That's where your time goes. And I think, I think what happens, please get this, because this is where I'm at. This is, I'm after something here. Sometimes we shrink our viewpoint. We get small on the inside, and we say, I just don't have enough time. I don't have enough time to serve God. I don't have enough time to spend time with my kids. I don't have enough time. Or we shrink our viewpoint and say, I don't have enough money. So I have to guard both of them. Guard my time. Guard my money. Because I think it's a pie instead of a river. I think, it's, I think there's scarcity instead of abundance. And what Paul is saying to these guys, we just read it, 2 Corinthians 6, the smallness you feel comes from within. Jesus wants to break the spirit of poverty off of our lives. Not by opulence, but by generosity. We don't break the spirit of poverty by getting, but by giving. Because the, the under, poverty will put on you, I don't, I don't have enough to give. Western North Carolina is one of the most poverty-stricken regions of the U.S. It literally is a serious problem here. And I, I really believe that part of the reason that God assigned us to come to this area was to help break the spirit of poverty off of people's lives. And I, I'm just going to tell you right now, it takes, it takes a level of boldness to stand up and preach this kind of message, knowing the religious spirits that are out there. But here's what I know about the, the principality of poverty or the spirit of poverty or the, the heart of poverty. You don't bring it down by shouting at it. Poverty, come down. You don't even bring it down by giving to it. Because if someone doesn't get proper godly thinking about the will of God for their life, you could give them 100 bucks, and the next week you've got to give them another 100. Literally learning to overcome the fear of not having enough. This is what causes people, this fear of not having enough is what causes people to stop sowing the seed 
that would create their future and by fear holding on to it. I want to bring a a couple up here and I I want them to be able to share their story because uh, this is Eric and Jessica Spence. Give them a great big hand. They're coming up. And I want them to be able to tell their story about staying faithful to God, staying faithful to giving when fear is trying to tell them you better hold on to the pieces of pie that you have. So anyway, give them a great big hand again, would you please? Awesome. Hey, we all got a story. It's so cool to be able to hear someone else's walking through their own story in their lives. So Eric, Jessica, why don't you guys introduce yourselves? All right. Well, my name is Eric. This is my wife, Jessica, and we've been married for 11 years now and been coming to The Rock for a little over six. We have three beautiful children, Allison, Caleb, and Elias. Great kids, great family, and my family's friends with these guys, and I know some of their story, and um, they grow up, you know, we all grow up, and we our mindsets are set for us, example for us by family, by parents and stuff. And so what was that like for you guys growing up in your households? How did the idea of generosity start getting established in your own minds? Um, well, Eric and I were actually really fortunate because when we were growing up, our parents instilled in us the concept of giving our tithe and of being generous on top of that um, from a very early age. And so I feel really fortunate because by the time we were teenagers and working, and certainly by the time we were married, you know, we were already in a habit of paying our tithe. It was non-negotiable. Um, and I feel like that was a gift that our parents gave to us to establish that when we were, you know, Little. Absolutely. So established at a young age, parents, take note. <laughs> the great little nugget right there. Take note of that for your own children. Uh, so established at a young age and growing up, but then, you know, life happens. And so generosity is a great idea. We would all go, generosity is good, right? We'd all say that. But when the struggle happens of daily life or a tough season, that kind of thing, it comes onto like a test. Yeah. So would you share with some of your own struggles um, when life happens? Generosity? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'll start off with uh, generosity is not something that is in just natural. Um, I remember when I first started getting my allowance, uh, my mom and dad talked to me about tithe, and I understood the concept, and I was like, yeah, okay. And about a month later, my mom came to me and was like, hey, Eric, I noticed you haven't paid your tithe yet. And I was like, I felt something inside of me. You know, even as a little kid, I was like, oh, that's, that's my money. You know? And so I turned to my mom, and I was like, God is a patient God. And, uh, yeah, so it's changed a little bit since then. Um, yeah, we were talking about this um, this week, and even recently, um, Eric and I went through a really difficult time as a family. We had a lot of transition with our jobs, and um, Eric left a corporate position that had pretty predictable income and finances um, that provided for our family into a self-employed position. And we knew ahead of time, you know, that that was going to be hard. There was going to be a season where we might not have income that we were generating, and we prayed about it. We planned ahead. Um, we, we saved up for that moment. Um, And we went for a period of months, actually, um, where we had no income at all. And so um, it was it was scary. I mean, we have three very small children. October rolls around last year, and um, Eric had been gifted some money for his birthday. And so we talked about paying tithe on that money, even though it was a gift to him. um, We hadn't been able to pay tithe because we had no income. And so we were just 
going to do it. And so we were kind of frightened, honestly, because at that point, you know, November's right around the corner. The holiday season is coming. We have business expenses coming before the end of the year. And I remember exactly where we were sitting in the sanctuary, and Eric pulled out his phone, and he paid tithe on that gift. And um, it was it was painful. It was a little scary. For the first time uh, in a long time for us, it was, it was actually hard for us to give, but we were determined to do it. And that week, we, we got a text from Eric's dad, and he said, hey, um, so-and-so wants to give you guys some money. And we were kind of totally shocked because we hadn't talked to this family friend in a long time, and he had stuffed some cash in envelopes, and he just felt led to give it to us. He didn't even know how much was in there. So he gives us this money. We're totally, completely humbled by it, and we're counting the money, and I just remember looking at Eric, and I said, babe, do you realize that this is exactly 10 times the amount that we gave at church on Sunday? And I just, I knew in that moment that God was saying, I see you. I see your children. I know what you need. And you don't have to stifle your ability to give and your generosity because you're afraid to take care of the needs of your family. Um, And we just dug our heels in. I mean, at that point, we said, we're not going to stop giving. Even if we don't have consistent income, we're going to keep giving no matter what. And we have no regrets about that, even though it was very difficult. And I would love to say that after the, um, that experience, things just turned around and it was great. And every, you know, God was providing fabulously. Um, didn't quite work out that way. Um, so we were continuing. The bank account was going the opposite direction. I'm a numbers person. I calculated, okay, Jessica, this is how long we have until we have to sell our house, until we have to uproot our family. And I was just like, oh. Um, but then Endeavor rolls around and you're like, okay, I've been paying my tithe. Yes, Lord. And, and it's like, God's like, okay. Give to Endeavor, and I'm like, God, have you seen my bank account lately? You know, and it's, uh, but um, you know, I think I was obedient, and and we gave, and uh, God took care of us. He has continued to take care of us. Amen. Hey, God is faithful and good. Like it's always true. Yeah. So we have just a few seconds left, and you know, here we are, October has rolled around, it's November now, people are thinking about what's ahead for this year. Uh, what advice would you throw out when times are tough? What kind of advice about generosity would you give people in the room today? I think we would just say, um, as a couple and as individuals, to not be afraid to be obedient. Um, you know, we, we grew up in homes where giving was, came naturally because it was something that we, like I said, was, it was non-negotiable. But obedience in the place of pain feels harder. It feels risky, honestly, and it's painful. And so um, Eric and I would say not to uh, stop being obedient for the sake of taking care of yourself. Um, because we, we do have small children, and that thought did cross our mind, like how many more months before we have to sell our home or we have to move um, or we have to start over somewhere else. And so, um, you know, that may feel like a risk, but God always took care of us. I mean, we could live literally sit here and tell you stories that would just blow your mind. And, um, and so we just encourage you to obey the Lord in that place of pain. Amazing. Hey, these guys are awesome. God has got a story in your own life. He's writing a story of generosity in you. It's so cool to hear these guys share theirs. Thanks for sharing today, guys. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys. Yes, so much. You know, I think to understand, we're going to talk about this, but to, to understand that 
the law of sowing and reaping is literally one of the most basic laws of the kingdom of God. And when I'm talking about um, behavior and operating systems, I, I I think to get this idea that a spirit of poverty, an operating system of poverty, the fear of not having enough, poverty is not looking for a place to give. Poverty is always looking to get. It's always looking to keep, to hold on. Generosity is always looking for a place to give. And and I want to encourage you to consider turning in a new direction. Uh, The idea of, you know, I want you to turn toward what, how can I give to God, to his cause, to people, how can I be a giver? And instead of just being turned towards what can I get? That the the whole bit of your life starts to become, God, how can I be a giver rather than how can I be a getter? And I think when you establish yourself as a giver, and I think this is why Paul is addressing this idea right here at the beginning of this whole concept. He's saying, I want to break you from the fear of not having enough. I, I want you to realize that there is more than enough. If If you will acquire a giving habit, God will support that addiction. I want to ask you today, I want to pray with you. Uh, are, Are you ready to make the great exchange? Where you are literally exchanging your sin for his righteousness. You're exchanging your struggle for his peace. You're exchanging your sorrow for his joy. Where you're exchanging your striving for his help. I want you to bow your heads for a moment, please, and I want you to close your eyes. Lord, we are grateful that you have enacted this incredible, great exchange where we uh, can literally take a hold and be taken a hold of by the abundance of heaven with peace, with joy, with righteousness, even with resources for life on this earth. Praying for every person in this room that every one of us, our hearts will be open to what heaven wants to give to our life. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, maybe you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus. I would love to pray with you. Or maybe you, in times past, used to be close to the Lord, but you know you're not where you want to be, where you used to be, where you could or should be, and you know, it's time for you to come home. Or maybe you just feel unsure about where you stand with God, but my point is this. I want every person in this room to be able to experience the nearness of God in their life.
the help of God in their life, the grace of God in their life. You've never given your life to Christ. You've fallen away from him or you feel unsure. And you say, Pastor, would you pray with me? Uh, I want you to lift your hand right now and say, that's me. Would you pray for me? God bless you. Come on, anybody else. God bless you. Maybe more important than me praying for you is you just signal to God, God, I need you in my life. I want you in my world. God bless you. Come on, anybody else that would say, yes, yes, I need Jesus. Yes, I need God. Yes, I need to make the great exchange. My mess for his grace. Anybody else? Let's pray a prayer together. This is for everybody that lifted their hand, for those who maybe could have, should have, and all of us praying this together, though. Let's all say, Lord Jesus, I open my life to your love, to your lordship. I need you. I want you in my world. I know I've sinned. I come to the cross where you paid the price for my forgiveness. Today is a fresh start, a new beginning as I give my heart to you. Help me become the person you created me to be. Amen. Come on, let's thank the Lord.